on, on, your, um, on your bulletin thingy at the front, um, it, it has a, a square <clears throat> and uh, there's an opportunity for you to write something in that square. And the question that, that you have an opportunity to answer is, what scripture do you believe is appropriate for South Africa today? What, do, what does South Africa need to hear today? Um, most of us that live outside of a cardboard box know that actually our country is going through some really upheaval. Um, and it's not easy. Uh, even, when we, even when we hear words like, forgiveness and letting go, we have to realize that, that that has two histories to it. Um, you know, I, I sometimes read um, some articles that are on a website called the dailymaverick.co.za, Daily Maverick. I encourage you to hop on there every once in a while because um, people are writing really openly, and some of it is really, really wise, some real insight and honesty, which is important. You know, we don't want to put a veneer over the reality of what's happening in South Africa. We need to acknowledge it, and then we need to be able to see what, what is the answer, what is the answer to those things. One of the articles I read recently was some guy called Bob, probably not his real name, was a South African that was now living in the UK. So, uh, you know, chances are he's white. Isn't that right? <laughs> so as I'm reading the letter, it, that's what it turns out to be. He actually says, I'm writing as a white male South African who is now living in London. And his question in the article was, what can I do? You know, I love, I love South Africa. I want to be part of South Africa. Um, I just don't know, I don't know what to do. Um, I've tried to help where I can. Um, I'm increasingly made to feel like I don't fit. And, and I just want to do what's right. Um, it was quite a long letter, so it was, it was interesting to start out reading like that. Um, and then as it continued... It kind of changed, and I heard, um, I heard what I say. I mean, I've lived in South Africa for 33 years, so I'm more South African than some of the people in this room. <laughs> so I read on, and I thought, I, I detected this kind of shift over, you know, a few paragraphs where the tone came from, I understand that I, have a, I come from privilege. I understand that no matter how hard my father worked or, you know, how much my mother uh, worked or cooked or taught or whatever it was, um, I understand I still have a background where I was not evicted from my land. Um, I was not um, uh, prevented from attending a certain school or whatever. I understand that. Um, so that it kind of started off like that, you know, to acknowledge 
that the reality of something that's going on. And uh, I think I think he was writing in the context of the Rhodes statue had just been toppled, you know, which was really funny because if you if you sort of listened and read a bit over that time. It was interesting to see how upset people got about a, a statue far more than they got about street children, <laughs> you know, or some of the situations that are going on. It's like, don't, hey. And it is just a statue. It's not the statue. It's the legacy of what that stood for, isn't it? And so he kind of changed and was talking about how you know, Rhodes actually did a lot of stuff that was good, you see, and then sort of started talking about all the things that had come out of, you know, um, South Africa's history. And by the end of it, it was quite—it was—it was quite funny. By the end of it, he—he he almost was saying that he was the victim. It's like, no, it completely turned around. He was the victim, and he was now being victimized because he was being denied a place. So it's interesting when things touch our identity. You know, we sometimes care far more about our identity than we do about human suffering. Um, and I think that's, a, that's something that's common. I've heard some of the words that he said come out of my own mouth. Things like, what do, you, what, what do we do? Right? What, what do we do? Can't we just kind of draw a line and, and then move on? Now, I'm not asking anybody to acknowledge if they think like that, because I already know <laughs> that lots of us think like that. Because we don't, we, we don't know what the answer is. You know, what is, what is the answer? Um, I, I, I hang around a lot with people who um, know they're sinners because they're addicts and alcoholics and they're in various stages of recovery. One of the most wonderful things is that they know, <laughs> they know that they've done wrong. They know, and they know that the answer is absolute rock-bottom honesty. And they're not afraid or ashamed, oddly enough, to actually say that to the people sitting around them. It's the most wonderful place to be. It's, it's the best church ever, ever. Because people are, 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 some people are admitting their helplessness and they don't know. Other people are saying, you know what? Hang on to God because he saw me through. It's amazing. It's amazing. So on your paper at the front, um, I don't know whether anybody has put something in there. Has anybody written a scripture or thought of a scripture? Anybody? Yay. The man himself. Oh, he just put his hand up for nothing. <laughs> yes. My prayer is thy kingdom come in South Africa. Yes. Good. Yeah, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Sometimes we're not too sure what that means. You know? 
I, I once heard, I, I think it was Errol Hoare, make a statement. He said, sometimes, when we, especially when we get into a situation where we are unsure, what we tend to do is we zip our lip. And then, because we don't say anything. And then we think that that's a bad thing. But in actual fact, it's a good thing. If you don't know what to say, say nothing. Or admit, actually, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Because when it comes to things that are happening here, it's not too different than sitting around in a recovery group. The most important thing to do is listen. 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 Much of what's going on in South Africa today is, is politically stirred. So it's got nothing to do with finding solutions. It's got a whole lot to do with power and votes and all that kind of stuff. So we need to listen. We need to listen to each other. Listen. One of the scriptures that I looked um, when I first sort of started putting some thoughts down is the, is the one that we hear all the time. We've heard many times. First Chronicles 12.32. When the tribes, the context when the tribes of Israel got together and they were now going to make David their king. And it gives all the tribes and the numbers and everything else. And it came to the tribe of Issachar. And it said that the, it says that the tribe of Issachar, the men knew seasons and times. They were aware of the time that they were living in. So the question is, do we? Do I? Do you? Who was it preached? Was it Mike Ivey? Somebody recently preached and said and asked this question. So this morning full of questions, hey. Are your best days still ahead? Are your best days still ahead? Are they? Are Sarepta's best days still ahead? That's a touchy question. <laughs> we got a lot of people here that are over the 40 mark. Isn't that right? And, and Sarepta is kind of got a history. So are we tending to live kind of in the glories of the past? Because if we are, we're leaving out a whole bunch of people. Is Sarepta's best days still ahead? Hmm? I'll tell you what, if you ever come on a Monday night, the answer to that is glorious. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Monday nights are funny because they start off kind of higgledy-piggledy. And we got some of the kids here from Sunday night, young people, young adults. <laughs> From Monday night, and, it, and they do. They kind of start off kind of rocky and noisy and kind of up and down and all sorts of stuff going on. Last Monday, do you remember last Monday? Last Monday, um, praise and worship starts, and it also starts higgledy-piggledy. But somebody started singing, Wamushle. Do you remember? Wamushle, Wamushle. Moyo ngwele. Moyo ngwele. Got it right. 
Do you know that that and, and Gizo Lebonga, hey, the Nako Igama, started singing. Do you know, I thought if I, if I open my eyes, there'll be no roof. There'll be no ceiling. It was hair-raising. Hmm? Do you remember? It was awesome. Awesome. And all, I mean, Wawangshay is just, you're, it's just beautiful, I think. Beautiful, beautiful Holy Spirit. That's all we're singing. Hey? Ngiso Lebonga, which means, I thank you. We thank you. Praise to your name. Hey? Absolutely awesome. I have, on Monday nights, I stand and I think, I never have to ask God what my purpose is. Ever. So what's yours? What's yours? In South Africa today, what's yours? What scripture does South Africa need? In the situation that we're in, where there's so much anger, and actually righteous anger, I'd be angry too. I'd be angry too. If my mother was working in a house whatever for years and years and some little pipsqueak white kid started mouthing off to her, I'd grab an AK-47 too. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's, there is, there is an, a level of rage in South Africa that actually comes from the reality of injustice. So what's our answer? Is our answer to say, well, you know what? You got roads and clinics and, and, <laughs> because all that does is escalate. Isn't that right? It just escalates. Or are we willing to listen? To listen in love. In love. I never lived that experience. I don't, I don't know what that would feel like. I can guess. But I don't know. But I'm willing to listen, and I'm willing to listen in love. You know, sometimes even, I mean, even in the same situation with people who, they don't know Christ, they don't know God, a lot of them. They've got, I mean, God is just this vague higher power that's whatever. God's gracious. <laughs> he still meets them right where they are. But when you talk and you, you say, Christian, they don't want to know. Mm-mm. Church? No. No. Christians refer to people as lost. And those people stand up and say, excuse me, but I know exactly where I am. You know, it's lost and found. So we, we, we almost kind of talk down to people. We need to learn a new language, learn the language of the world. You know, even, even, when a, even when a parrot feeds its baby, it's selective on what it gives it. It doesn't just vomit all over this baby bird, okay? You need to be selective, okay? Listen, hear God. Most, most non-Christians around have heard the whole evangelism story. And they're not interested. But I read a survey on on the impact, hmm? the impact it makes on people who are sick when someone goes to visit them in hospital, 
when somebody cooks a meal for their neighbor because they know they're tired or whatever. It's the acts, little acts of kindness actually leave such an imprint. And if you ever want to leave an imprint, a legacy, an imprint of your life, volunteer for children's ministry. Because kids are wet cement. Adults, we're like granite. You know, an adult, you take a hammer and a chisel and you start banging away or chipping away. A child, child's wet cement. Just touch a child. You leave an imprint. You know, so we say, ah, but the children's ministry, children's, you know, it's mostly Zulu. And I don't speak Zulu. So? doesn't matter. You can help. You can pray. Last year, we had a bunch of people come to Monday night that were from Eric Shazzy's church in Shanguani Dam. And it was, there, was, there, were, there were older guys. You know, one of those ladies, during the praise and worship, every week, every week that she was there, every week stood at the back and prayed, Lord, these are your children. Lord, we lift them to you. That's, all, that's what she did. She just she stood and prayed. No fuss, no posturing, no gesturing, no loud voice, nothing. She just prayed. So, the children church need help? We've done a marvelous job on the kitchen. Amazing, isn't it? Awesome. What about the mother's room? Hmm? Have you taken a look at the mother's room lately? Do we want young families in Sarepta? Take a look at the mother's room. So I'm being too harsh. One of the important things about, about making a decision about the times that we live in and whether the best things are, are yet to come is that the spirit comes to the church from the future. The Spirit of God works in your life from the future, works in anticipation. Do you understand what I mean? The Spirit of God works in your life creating anticipation. We don't usually pray for things back there. We pray for things here because the Spirit of God moves on our hearts for the future. Now that's kind of a funny theological thing because of course God is outside of time. But in our lifetime, we're locked in time. He works in the future. The anticipation so that the church is prepared to be, this is somebody's quote, so that the church is prepared to be the church that Christ desires to see when he returns. Not the one he left in the future in the first century. So our best times are actually ahead, ahead. We can't glory, we can't sit and rest on what was. Sarepta has to change, has to change daily, daily. Hi. Otherwise, we just die. Do you know, something like, I can't remember what, what the figure was. It's something like 40% or 50% of household dust is actually human cells. 
It's actually like skin cells because you change all the time. So about 40% of the dust in your house is actually old dead skin and stuff. So feel free to vacuum more. Hi. I want to look at 1 Chronicles 12.32. So if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Kings, Kings, Chronicles, and Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles 12. Actually, I should remember. Oh. Run, sorry, 1 Chronicles 12. I thought I put a thing in it. Run Chronicles 12. This is talking about Issachar. Run Chronicles 12, verse 32. The sons of Issachar are men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were at their command. So, men, men and women of Sarepta, who understood what Sarepta should do, corporately, individually, what we should do. How would you like to have 200 home cell leaders? Wouldn't be bad, hey? I want to read you something that's just an illustration of what I'm talking about. Excuse me. Yesterday, I went to a memorial service for a young guy who is an addict alcoholic. And uh, he died very unexpectedly just in his sleep. Yes, Lord, that's how I want to go. And so it was very difficult because why? Why? Doctor says natural causes. So having an autopsy and whatever just to make sure that there was no negligence or anything. But here we are with this, I don't know, how many, however many residents of a rehab and this young man has died. Now these are guys that are brand new. Most of them are scared to death. Fear is the number one thing in an alcoholic or an addict's life. Fear, fear. So now they're really confused. And um, I was up and down to Caroline. Joey said to me, Eileen, I know the, 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 the youngster. She said, you know, we're going to do a memorial. We didn't think he had any family. He, he, he ended up, he did have some family that came. Um, like many families of addicts and alcoholics, they had just given up, which I encourage everybody, if you have family members that are like that, do exactly the same. Until a person actually wants to change, wants help, they won't receive it. So she said, I would like to put something in the sort of folder, you know, in the brochure or bulletin thing, for the, the guys... In, guys, I mean men and women, in the rehab to kind of take with them. So would you do it? So I thought, thank you very much. You know, that's just something I can just pull off my sleeve. Uh, 
Anyway, I started thinking about it, and I thought of my brother. My oldest brother was an alcoholic who stepped into recovery when he was 65. Do you know the chance of that? He's in the .000 something or other percent of actually succeeding. But he came to Christ, (laughs) came back to Christ, and uh, he died sober a couple of years ago. But he was a poet. He was a writer. He was a poet. Now, when I'm talking about the future, that the Spirit speaks from the future to us, sometimes what we're doing right now is futuristic in the sense that we're just doing whatever. But down the line, that has a tremendous impact. You know, we don't see it. I think that's what was said earlier. We don't see the results of what we're doing. But down the line, it has an impact. Right? This is, this is something he wrote. So I put, I put who I am in Christ on the one side, accepted in all the scriptures. I'm secure. It's a big one. And I'm significant. That's kind of Maslow's sort of thing of value. Anyway, this is what Al wrote. Who could know? It's a poem called, Who Could Know? God Alone. Who could know the twists and turns that daily shaped my life? The people and the places that I'd never thought I'd see. And who could know that plans made yesterday would never come to be? Who could know? God alone. Who could know the bitter times just trying to find my way of stumbling through life's tangles in my anger and my fear? And who could know my wayward wanderings would finally bring me here? Who could know that in the deepest darkness there was light, I'd stumble there defeated, all the guilt and pain inside? And who could know there was a door I thought was closed was really open wide? Who can know the future that this road I travel now, the unseen heights and hollows of tomorrows still unclear? Who will guide me on this road and comfort all my fears? Who will take my hand? Who will walk with me? My Savior, God alone. That poem has never gone anywhere except to my computer, I think. But yesterday, that touched the hearts, not just of those at the rehab, but also others that were there. And it applies to you and me. It applies to you and me. Who knows what tomorrows bring? Who knows the path that we walk, the things that we say to people? Who knows? Do I know the answer for South Africa today? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. But I do know that in my attitude to those around me, I can make a difference. Sometimes just by listening. Just by listening. Just by loving. I have one word that I believe the Lord has given me, and that is established. 
we could just meditate on that word established as a branch in the vine. It is all of God's work. He has established his church. He has established each one of us as a branch. As a branch is um, cut into the vine uh, and it grows, it's all God establishing his church. Praise God for you establishing us in our hearts, Lord. Amen. As Eileen was talking, scripture that came to mind, this interesting concept of the Holy Spirit living, speaking out of the future. There's a scripture which says, the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more until the perfect day. came to me is, and very much on my heart is that one in John three sixteen seventeen, where Jesus didn't come to judge the world. He came to reconcile it. And it's reconciliation and, and drawing people to God and not judging them for whatever they're doing. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that, Eileen. You spoke very, very powerfully to my heart. I just feel it would be appropriate now if we could pray together as a body, as a church, for our country, for this beautiful country, for the people, um, for our leaders, and, um, and for all of us to, for the role that we are playing in the future of our country. May I? You may. <laughs> Oh, Father God, we, we come together as, as your church, your children, your heirs. And, and we just, we want to thank you for this country, for this wonderful country that you have blessed us to be part of. And I pray, Father God, that, that you would, in your powerful, your powerful way, by your spirit, that you would, you would reign. You would reign over this country, that you would speak to our leaders, that you would bring in men, God-fearing men, Lord, to be part of the leadership of this country. We pray for those in our leadership, Lord, who, who, who don't know the ways. And, and we pray, Father, that, that they would see the light, that they would see the love that each of us can show to each other. And we pray, Father, that, that there would be change. As we change every day, as our church changes every day, we pray for change in South Africa. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 We all know that what happened the other night at the State of the Nation address was a disgrace. No matter where your political affiliation lies, what was so evident was the incredible 
anger, which as Arlene said in some respects is completely justified. Father God, we take authority over the anger which manifests itself so violently in this country. We bind it in Jesus' name and we loose, Lord, the peace of God. We loose the spirit of reconciliation. We loose into this country mutual acceptance and love and tolerance, Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we know there is no other way for this country to be redeemed other than in the name of Jesus, by the power of his blood and through the working of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I want to pray for every single parliamentarian who is there, many of whom are hurting and disaffected and cynical and horrified. We lift them up to you, Lord. May they seek your face, Lord. May they seek your face. And Father God, we cry to you. And Father, as a white person who came from a highly privileged background, I want to lead this church in a prayer of repentance, Lord. Repentance for taking everything for granted. And being complacent. And I ask you, Lord, to help those of us who have come from privilege to be far more sensitive to your word. Amen. Amen. It says, I am weak, but thou art strong. And there are some other words. It talks about the bread of heaven, and it talks about lead me now and forevermore. And in the context of today, I just sense the Spirit saying, sometimes we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, because we're weak. But the scripture says, I am weak, but thou art strong.